Hello and welcome to He's Dropping at the Movies. I'm Mike. And I'm Jose. And we've just seen Dark Waters. Yes. Which I don't know about you, but I've really been looking forward to from the trailers. Yes, I mean, I can't <laughs> say that I love Todd Haynes' films, actually. I think it would be slightly dishonest to say that. But, you know, I have been fascinated by them pretty much the last 20 years. And some of them I've watched over and over and over and over again. Uh, so, of course, I was very keen, you know, to see the latest Todd Haynes. And it's an unusual one, isn't it? Because isn't it the first that he hasn't written the screenplay for? Uh, I don't believe that's true. I don't think he wrote Carol. And he didn't write Wonderstruck. Ah, okay. Um, the reason I was looking forward to this was because it looked like the new Spotlight, you know, from the trailers. And you yes. know how much I love Spotlight. Yes. Um, you know, Spotlight was about, to some degree, the small guy overcoming the big guy and uncovering a huge kind of corruption scandal. Mm. Um, wasn't exactly the small guy. I mean, it was the Boston Globe, but it started off with small people. In this, it starts off with a farmer whose cows are dying. This is in the mid to late 90s. He's had to put down a hundred of them. His farm looks like a graveyard. And he goes to this big shot lawyer, basically, Robert Billet, who's played by Mark Ruffalo, mm. who works for a firm that does a lot of work for DuPont, which is a chemical company, a massive chemical company. And he says, this is DuPont's fault. They have a plant next door. It's all of their runoff. I guarantee it. That's what's doing this. So from this one guy's sort of determination to to fix it, basically, and make them pay, this corporate lawyer starts to uncover a scandal in which DuPont have been poisoning people knowingly, people as in an entire water supply, for 40 years or more. Yeah, it's... It's vast. I mean, the, the, the scale of the corruption is... Unprecedented. It's insane. Mm. And it's a true story. Yeah, and it's on every level. And it's not only a true story, but it's a true story that affects all of us. I mean, you know, I use Teflon pans, right? I mean, I wasn't even aware of it, actually, you know, that it has this chemical um, that is really poisonous and deadly, Yeah. right? And uh, the film, in fact, ends by saying 99% of the world's population is contaminated by this carbon right yeah c8 it's called yeah it's in everything Um, it's in it's in water and it's in like say teflon is this kind of central icon because it's it's an iconic product and they talk about it being uh, a beacon of american ingenuity yes but it's in everything they dump it into the water supply and it's all they also talk about it once it's in you it stays new it builds up Mm. so this is in everyone on earth basically and every organism they say yeah like once it's in you it's just not not in you anymore what did you think of the film because I love courtroom dramas, and I came out of the film not quite satisfied, which, you know, to be honest, is my response to almost every Todd Haynes film. Yeah, so I come out not quite satisfied, and then, you know, there's always something that niggles or whatever, you watch it over again, and, you know, it's like the more I watch his work, the more I appreciate it, but my initial response is always... Not it's it's not something I love, you know. Well, I know you asked me the question, but let me ask it back to you then. Was it something you expected out of this that you didn't get, or? Uh, no, I mean, I suppose, you know, for me, courtroom dramas, which I love of all kinds, actually, you know, they always have like suspense, right, and moments of high emotion, mm. you know, and you follow the procedure, like what the lawyer needs to do in order to solve the case and the barriers, yeah, yeah that they confront. And this film is not at all like that. I'm not sure I entirely agree. I would 
disagree though in a in a really pedantic way with the phrase courtroom drama because I would say it's it's more generally a legal drama. We see very little that's actually in a courtroom, and I think that's important because it is about the process. It is about going through discovery. It is about what he finds in these files. You get these you, you get this minutiae. So, for instance, you have the discovery process whereby. Um, once he's suing DuPont, they have to turn over everything that's mm. relevant. But of course, what they do then is they send him so much documentation, it fills a room with paper yes. uh, and all these boxes to slow him down. Yeah. Like, that is a legal sort of. I mean, these days you wouldn't even be allowed to do that. You'd be able to go to the judge and say, no, make them give me a PDF. You uh. know? Um, but like, so it has these elements of these legal, legal fighting, but it is also about a community it's about the length of time things take so when they get to the point in the story where they are able to take blood samples from all these people because they're trying to establish that c8 is in all these people's blood and it has negative health effects they do that in something like 2010 um and then it's another seven years before or maybe it was like 2005 either way it takes them seven years before that study comes out because there's so much data to deal with. So the effect there is on the community. The community is getting tired of this. Like, we we did this. We want this resolution. They're not getting it. And he can't tell them anything because it's out of his hands. Yes. Um, so it's about... And it's also about his family. Yes. His personal situation and his family's relationship with his wife and his children. Yeah. And the stress that has. I, mean, I think the wife character is interesting, played by Anne Hathaway. I think you do expect more fireworks between them. And the fact that you don't is only really resolved at the end when she says, no, the whole point is I've been taking this on and not giving him extra stress because mm. that is my job. Mm. Like Her job was not to introduce drama to the film mm. in a way, which I think is kind of interesting. Yes. I must say, I kind of, I loved her in this. Um, I think it's one of her most restrained performances. And actually, you, for most of it, you could see her playing a person rather than a set of attitudes. I mean, through most of the film, I was saying, oh my God, isn't she good in this? Because it's a small part, or it's a relatively small part. It's not, a, you know, she's not the main focus of the narrative. Um, and then there's a couple of moments where I think she fails at, and, you know, it makes you conscious once again. Of, As in Anne Hathaway, the actress, yeah. her performance. Yeah, I think kind of, you know, she does very, very interesting things. And also, I think I was... Once again, uh, appreciative of how beautiful she is. In um, it's, uh, you know, she like a real star. She can she can seem both ordinary and extraordinarily beautiful, right? And I thought she was believable as a housewife, you know, who had been like you know a community, yeah, human rights lawyer. Or, um, but then there were moments where she failed. I think right, like I, I we talked earlier about. You know, uh, there's a moment where she has a confrontation with Tim Robbins, mm. right? And from the head up, she's being very good, right? But it's a long shot. And, you know, she's holding her hands together and being very immobile from the head down, like a real amateur, you know? Yeah. I must say, that's a scene that really moved me. That's when, mm. she, that's when she expresses to Tim Robbins, who is the uh, head of the law firm Taft mm. that uh, her husband works for. That's when she expresses to him, like, basically, you and I are all he has in his life. Mm. And he needs you to stand up for him a bit more and not make him feel like he's failing all the time. Mm. Um, which I think it's a really moving sentiment and not mm. something I expected. Yes. You know, and it has been so kind of... I mean, if it's been there, it's been completely uh, subtextual. Like, I hadn't seen it, you know, until she mm. said it. And then yes. it makes sense. Yes. Um, 
And I know what you mean that she could be doing something with her body to express that, but I also think that there is a kind of gentleness or a quietness to the way she expresses it that is effective. I think actually it, it would it could hurt the scene to to over dramatize it. Yes, but I'm not talking about over dramatize it. I'm I'm just mm. talking about not making the audience aware that she's an actress. Yeah, and you know, holding your body like that to me was just very amateurish. Sure. Like a normal person, you know, would be I don't know using their hands to express what they're saying or you know yeah yeah and it was almost like she didn't know what to do with her hands or she kept them together yeah like yeah uh, I, I just said i guess that kind of worked for me i think that kind of stillness like she didn't need to emphasize what she was saying because it was so potent already mm, yeah. um, but, but i but i also would kind of agree that maybe the way it's shot mm. to show you uh more of her body than she's using yeah kind of suggests that she should be using that much of her body actually if it was shot more in close-up well, then you, you would not question that. Yeah, I mean, the thing that I found is that, you know, the rest of her body offers her other avenues for expressing mm-hmm. either contradiction or nervousness or, you know, she is kind of telling off her husband's boss at a time when the family is very fragile. Mm-hmm. You could be doing other things rather than just, you know, acting from your neck up, right? Like, yeah. was my feeling. Though she is very good. I don't want to, you know, I feel like I'm being very nitpicky because actually I liked her very much. And in fact, often with Todd Haynes, I feel that there's a kind of a slight campery. And partly it's the register that he's working with. So if you remember in Far From Heaven, and even I think in Carol and so on, yeah, there's a little bit of an ironizing of normal situations. So the characters are almost kind of, you know, speaking in quotations, like definitely in Far From Heaven, right? So there's always like a little bit of stiffness, yeah? Mm. Um, which sometimes works, yeah, with the type of narrative that's being conveyed and sometimes doesn't. Here, I thought, you know, the actors were, the, all the lead actors were phenomenal. I thought Victor Garber was fantastic. I thought uh, Tim Robbins, Mayor Winningham, Bill Patton, right? It felt uh, like Pullman. A, Bill Pullman. It was like an 80s, 90s, you know, <laughs> welcome week or something, right? It's people that you haven't seen or I haven't seen for years. I mean, I haven't seen Mare Winningham, you know, in a movie like in, you know, since yeah. the 80s probably, you know, and actually she's amazingly good. Yeah. But then there were things like, for example, the farmer who starts off the case. Mm. I thought there were, yeah, there were moments of stiffness or awkwardness or... Oh, I loved him. Did you? No. Yeah. I mean, I think it's he, he, he sort of speaks and behaves in a way that you maybe don't see all that much. He's a real sort of like, country boy, real local accent. There's something in the way his accent and his voice is all, is all expressed through stiffness and mm. anger, in a way. Like, he's not, you know, he's not a fluid person. He's not, he doesn't kind of easily express himself. He is angry from the start. Mm. And that speaks for everything about him. And he's sick and tired of people not listening. Even to the point where, when the lawyer you know, starts to believe him and starts to work with him, he's still pissed off that the lawyer is kind of holding back. The lawyer is saying, okay, well, this is kind of true, but we're not going to win anything. Just, mm. you know, run away. One of the he's not that- happy with it. And he stays closed in and angry. And I like his entire... I think it's an embodied performance. Okay, I, I didn't feel. I mean, I I got what you're saying, you know, but I thought 
it had moments of awkwardness and stiffness and so on, you know, that were not to do with, you know, the conveying of, of, of a character. Mm. Um, but what I really loved about this film, and actually, again, it's something that I love about Haynes, is, you know, he's got like these traveling shots from the inside of a car of people in the town, right? And they remind me a little bit of those Dorothea Lange photos or, you know, those classic photos of 1930s Depression era, right? Mm. That you see like these faces that are kind of like lived in. And obviously bodies speak class relations, don't they? Like class is, is embodied. So, you know, you have like these people who who look like they've had a hard life, yeah, kind mm. of, you know, so as the camera pans by, you have these weather-beaten faces, or the diner, or, yeah, you get a real sense of kind of, of a small-town America under siege through corporate wrongdoing, which is, well, you know, what the film is about, and kind of, and you register that on people's faces. I thought that was like, you know, the film has great moments, really. Uh, another moment that caught my eye is, you know, when, when Mark Ruffalo... And Anne Hathaway, she's in bed. She looks at her clock. It's two o'clock. Yeah, she goes to find him. He's in the kitchen. They have this argument. What are you doing? You know, and so on. And then the camera pulls back and you realize she's pregnant. Mm. Right? And it's such a clever thing to do. Right? <laughs> yeah, because she's just had a baby. You've seen her with a baby. But actually, this is telling you he's under so much stress. She's under so much stress. And... You know, then they've got a baby on the way. And that's done so subtly, right? It's like, you know, everything is focused on faces. Yeah. And then there's a cut and you realize she's yeah. pregnant. Yeah. I thought that was wonderful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I um, One thing I would kind of warn people about, although I suppose if you're this far into the podcast, you must have seen the film by now already. But I would say, don't believe the trailer. Right. Because I don't know if you remember the trailers at all. No. But they really made it look like the most dramatic thing in the world. Yes, you know they had like shocking music and the bit in the in the boardroom with, with all the partners of his law firm, and they're kind of having a go at him, saying, "You want to go against Dupont? You want to take everything you know as a corporate lawyer and turn it against them?" Mm. And he goes, "Yes, it's a wonderful moment." And in the trailer, it's a it's a real kind of centerpiece thing, and in this, it's almost thrown away. It's like it's part of the scene, and I had a kind of problem that I think the way the film's been marketed makes it look like it's a different film. Well, I think this is where, you know, when we talked earlier about a courtroom drama, you know, maybe a combination of the trailer and, in fact, some of what the film is about is what led me to feel a bit disappointed in it. Yeah, that it didn't have those moments of tension yeah. or emotional release or identification or rooting for, you know, this is not that kind of film, you know. Because I sure. think the film that it actually is, is a really compelling drama mm. and a really compelling legal procedural is still what it is. But it's also, like I say, a family thing and a community thing. But, you know, but from the trailer, you're going, oh, this is going to be a fight the whole way. It's going to be about the fighting and it's going to be uh, kind of high octane. And you also, got, I got the impression at least that it was going to be a fight with his own firm. Like you really got from the trailer, yeah. he's a corporate lawyer who's going against his own firm. And there is an element of that. But actually, the Tim Robbins character, who you are really expecting to be fighting the whole way, is vaguely supportive. Yeah. At least he's not really fighting with him. Yeah. It's he's... more than vaguely supportive. He is supportive. Yeah. He allows it to happen. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so With a kind of raised eyebrow the whole time, going, okay, just make sure this works. But he's yes. but he's not you know, he's not fighting with his own firm against this. That's just not the film it is. So I, I, I kind of had trouble with... I think it's marketed wrong, basically. Yes, I think it's marketed wrong. And... I think the film is actually very, very complex. It's kind of, 
You know, it's depicting a, a totally corrupt culture, you know, one which when it suits the powers that be, corporations are treated as people, yeah, kind of, and once they're not, right? So, you know, when it comes to making profit, they're people. When it comes to kind of social responsibilities, you know, they are absolved from them. Um, mm. The film uh, demonstrates how, you know, corporate America is in cahoots with government and how corrupt the whole thing is, uh, how, uh, what disregard they have for people, uh, what attitudes they have to dehumanize people? What's the word? Proctor? Or uh, receptor. Receptor. The people who, who end up with C8 in their blood, basically. Yeah, yeah, so they're not people, they're receptors, right? So it's a way of dehumanizing people. Um, you know, people who know... I mean, imagine if this were a film in which somebody poisoned somebody else, right? It's a major drama, it's a major crime. Well, here, these people have been poisoning... You know, all of America, and particularly, and more gravely, this particular town, and, you know, they have no sense of responsibility or, you know, or conscience. It's only when they're confronted with it as, you know, by demonstrating pictures of people who've been born extremely deformed um, that the person being interrogated looks down. And even then, you know, it mm. continues, right? So I think the extent, the disregard the dehumanization of its own citizens, both by government, which allows this to happen, right? One of the themes of the film is that there's no regulation, that it's self-regulated, right? Yeah, the, gov the government is kind of equally stupid and in cahoots because you have this thing about when the EPA started regulating chemicals in the 70s, they grandfathered in every existing chemical. They just mm. said they're fine. And they relied on the chemical companies to tell them what was dangerous and what wasn't. So they're incompetent enough to just let them lie about all these chemicals that are dangerous. Yes. And on the other hand, later on, you see that the EPA has been bought by DuPont to say 115 parts per billion is safe. Yes. Whereas what you've heard before is one part per billion is dangerous. Yes. They can make up their own rules and the EPA can be bought yes. to go along with it. And the film demonstrates all of that really kind of um, fluidly and complexly. Yeah. So I think that is very much to the film's credit. I mean, I do wonder, you know, because there used to be a time, and actually seeing Barbara Walters in that 60-minute excerpt, you know, and maybe it's my own naivete, but, you know, there used to be a time where you thought revealing that DuPont did this, you know, would be enough. Yeah, that as soon as you revealed it, everything would change. Mm. Yeah, the kind of the, the company would go bankrupt. Yeah, the government would take action, you know. And actually one of the things that it makes me think of a little bit is, you know, now, now we know that actually revealing the truth about something doesn't necessarily change it, right? Which then makes you think, well, what's the point of making these movies then? Do you think that's, that's something that's actually changed? I'm not convinced that is. Well, it's all, always a question of degrees, right? Mm. But, you know, I do think that the New York Times as an organ definitely had the power to to change things by revealing them. I do think also programs, you know, like 60 Minutes when there was only like three channels on television, <laughs> you know, if something like that would have had a huge impact and would have created change. I mean, we know, for example, here in Britain that like, um, you know, films like Case and, yeah, and so on did kind of change legislation, really, you know, so... I think people still have... I'd say, you know, if you look at uh, Edward Snowden, 
in 2013, was it? Yes. Um, whistleblowing on the NSA, and that story came out in The Guardian. That made changes. True. You know, um, the phone hacking stuff. No, don't get me wrong. I mean, I think it's a very good thing to do, you know, and actually it's it might be worth going through Todd Haynes' career, you know, because in a way he's never shied away from this, right? Like, you know, his films are all you know, about social injustice in some way, right? And about revealing it, yeah? And I think it's to his credit, yeah? Kind of, you know, the, the films are about that and, you know, they make a contribution. They're also richer dramas for for taking those differences on board. But anyway, just an idle thought, yeah? You you wonder, like... I know what you mean. You're, you're, sort, of, you're sort of saying it seemed like there was a time when, when actually it made a difference and it doesn't feel like that so much now. And I, I think there's an aesthetic way in which that feels true. Like what you say about seeing these clips of 60 Minutes, you go, oh God, things felt so important back then. And maybe things feel like they get lost. Well, you days. know, you open Twitter and you see like a million bits of bad news and corruption yeah. you know, and so on, right? Uh, it yeah. feels, more, feels more dilute, I guess. Yes. But, um, but I, I'm not sure I agree that... It, so maybe, maybe, like I say, maybe it is an aesthetic thing. Maybe it feels like things used to be taken more seriously or things things made a big difference back then. But I'm not sure that actually realistically things have changed so much these days. You know, well, I think I mean, there's, there are still big movements that are changing kind of public opinion about things, like things like Me Too and things like the climate change movement are changing dramatically. Sure. Um, no, I agree. And, you know, and there was a, there's a sense in which everything, you know, was always described. I mean, certainly when you read about the turn of the century, robber barons or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, kind of... It's not so different than now. Or when you, you know, uh, I forget that film with Burt Lancaster where he played an evangelical, you know, preacher. Or, you know, Barbara Stanwyck also did a film about, what is it? I forget what her name was. But again, you know, it's a very famous preacher. You know, and the films are all revealing of how corrupt they are and, mm. you know, blah, blah, blah. And, it, you know, you got the feeling watching those films that, oh, you know, that's the way things used to be and they're not like that anymore. And, of course, they are even worse, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I think maybe it is a kind of a question of, like, just, you know, perspective. I think certainly it's important, you know, that uh, cinema and all kind of storytelling kind of have some kind of critique. And this film does. But I don't know why I find it, like... I mean, what do you think of the film's look? It's a tough one because I can't say that I love it, but it feels somehow very appropriate. And there is something kind of dull and, uh, I mean, like visually dull, like kind of dim almost, and kind of grey to the imagery that has a suggestion of a world in which nothing is as good as it could be. (laughs) Like nothing kind of looks as pretty as it might in this. You feel like everyone lives inside a world which has been blanketed by some depressive force. I wondered if it was the projection system, you know, because I've never seen a Todd Haynes film that was so dim. It's not the, it's not the it's not the projection system. No. It's it's the look of the film. I think it's evocative. I think it says like it's a miserable world that these people mm. have to live in. Everyone you have to think about how um when it gets out that the farmer has sued DuPont, the headline on the paper 
is disgruntled farmer sues local major employer. Yeah. You know, it's basically the point is everyone relies on DuPont, everyone yes. works for DuPont. At the end, when they're doing the blood test and you get these hundreds, thousands of people doing the blood test, the, the woman says, you're not going to find anything, DuPont's good people. Even yeah. after all of this, you know. Yeah. So everyone loves this place and, and, and everyone relies on it and believes it. But the world in which they live, like I say, is kind of blanketed with a dullness, a lack of life. And, and it speaks to, I think, the kind of, it's like the it's like the your view of the world is entirely colored i get that <laughs> i get that but then that's also translated into the spectator right and you do get like this wintry grayness you know that's like pretty relentless uh i found it odd also that some of the most beautiful shots in the film which were really beautiful you know and evocative and it had like bursts of not bursts, but it almost felt like uh, foggy, like fog that had radioactive elements. Yeah, so you saw little bits of yellow and green. Right. Yeah, on lakes and or the last shots of those factories mm. yeah, spewing smoke. Yes. You know, I thought they were really beautiful, actually. But again, it just felt odd that, you know, when you're looking at like shots that you think, oh, this is really beautiful. It's the poison. And then... You know, there's no variation, so the farm is grey, but also Ruffalo's house is dark, and yeah, kind of the offices are dark, <laughs> right? You know, so even though, for example, in his office he's got like this polished oak or whatever, the light in it still feels like dark. Yeah, like I would have liked more variation or something. But to what end would you would the variation be? You know. Well, to indicate differences in class, right? So, for example, when they're in those expensive restaurants, maybe, you know. Mm. Well, those are probably the brightest. I mean, when you have those two kind of highfalutin lawyer parties, corporate things, and those are probably the liveliest parts of the film. And you kind of, I think, get a sense of mm. um, the, the, the kind of status and the class and the enjoyment and the champagne around and people wearing everyone's wearing lipstick and beautiful dresses and all the rest i think you get a real sense of that it's not they're not like they're not jumping off the screen with brightness it's still kind of of a of a level but yeah i think i think it comes across hmm. it feels appropriate to me the whole thing like i said i think it sets it sets a really interesting tone that i liked hmm. that felt right throughout the film you know wow it is like it's just, it's just this ongoing thing like the film takes 20 years to to yeah, that's a story it tells. Yeah, it's a long fucking time, and there can't be anything too exciting because it's just—it's a slog. It is a slog. Um, I mean, not the film's a slog, but the, the what he's having to do—the the twenty years—is a slog. Mm, I'm just thinking aloud, really. Yeah. Um, Mark Ruffalo, I thought was amazing. I think he's extraordinary, and it's a—it's a—it's a kind of a performance that is like—it's small gestures. It's like a turn of the mouth or. You know, mm. it's very restrained in a way, but kind of, you know, very purposeful. Uh, and obviously he ages, yeah, you know, kind of throughout. And I thought that was done very well. Whoever designed his haircut was a genius, really. You know? <laughs> um, I like his hunch. He has this thing, like, um, his shadow, almost like his silhouette looks, it's like a baggy suit mm. and a hunched shoulders. And he, he looks like he has trouble living within his own body. Yeah. You know, and, and the kind of slightly stuck out lower lip at times. He he doesn't look comfortable in his own body, that guy. Yeah. It's interesting. And, and actually I think, you know, that is part of the greatness of the performance because 
you know, again, and it is a really complex and interesting film because one of the things that you're told is he doesn't belong in that world of lawyers, right? You know, he's an army brat who's lived in 10 towns, who has no friends, right? Who is from, what was it, West Virginia or something? West Virginia is where the film's set and the legal firm is in Ohio. Okay, but, but not you sure know, I think the, Vin, the, the Vincent Garber character tells him, oh, you're so West Virginia or whatever, right? Like, yeah. Oh, that's yeah. right. His, his mum lives in West Virginia. Yeah. Least, so, and he's a hick. He calls him a hick. Exactly, right? So, you know, this thing about class and geography, yeah, he's somebody who doesn't belong. Yeah. That's right, yeah. Yeah, so that unease in his body, yeah, kind of conveys all of that, really. Mm. Um, and so, then his body starts failing him. So you have to think about this this twitch in his right hand. Yes. Um, and I guess maybe you're supposed to kind of think, oh, is, has he been affected by the chemical as well? I thought that. Everything. Yeah. Um, I took it more as just a kind of stress thing, which I think is part of that. It's also because it happens when, when he confronts the CEO of DuPont with, with like seven hours of documentation about, well, everything that he found in Discovery about all of their wrongdoing, culminating in that photo of the kid with the deformed face. Mm. You know, when he goes back to his car after that, he's really shaking. Yes. And that's when he thinks he's going to get blown up as well. So like, there's this paranoia that feeds into it. And then ultimately he has a near stroke, a TIA, which is similar to a stroke. And then the doctor basically tells you straight up, this is stress related. Mm. So like it's, it's so like it's kind of that thing of, you know what you said before about why you like boxing movies, about how it's the, the, the stress and the problems that these people have is expressed through their body. Yeah. It's kind of like that. You know, yes. It comes out through his body. His body yeah, starts well, to fail I mean, him. You know, certainly in his performance it is. But you've seen it twice now. So does it get better? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I really loved it the first time. One I, what I liked more the second time was the uh, familial relationship. I found all of that more moving and more complex, I suppose. Anne Hathaway is someone who... Sometimes I have real trouble with because it looks like oh she's working so hard and just not getting the effects that she wants. So to me, it's all like effort and teeth sometimes with that Hathaway. She's, but in this, I think it's a really embodied performance. That I makes saw sense. her with um, so there's like this kind of scam movie that she's in with the hustle, the hustle, and it's the worst performance I've ever seen by a major star. <laughs> right, like you know, she she's doing an English accent that has to be the worst English accent I've ever seen. Okay, right, and it's completely off at all times. I Dick mean, Van Dyke. Dick Van Dyke was very charming with his. I I really <laughs> liked Dick Van Dyke, you know, in all of that. But she is completely off, and actually, I blame the director. I mean, how could you let anyone, you know, <laughs> get away with that? It's, it's very embarrassing to see. It's almost like painful to see because I really love her actually. Yeah. There's something about people who start off as kids that you feel kind of a fondness for them, right? Like, I mean, I loved her. Of course, she was what the princess. The princess diaries, which were huge hits, and the devil was Prada later on, and you know she's had kind of important hits, and I kind of she's someone that you kind of root for. I want her to do well. I kind (laughs) of I like her, right? But actually, of the people that I feel like that for. You know, few have failed so dramatically, right? Like, the hustle is really painful. Right? <laughs> <laughs> ah. uh, so, um, yeah. Sounds so, like Kira Knightley. I have a similar thing with Kira Knightley. Yeah. I'm just like, oh, I, w- I, wish, I wish you were great. And actually, I think she's got a lot I better she's than she's gotten she really to good. Um, but, you know, I always, I did used to have that thing of like, well, you can't blame her for not taking her opportunities. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, she well, made the most of it. Watch the hustle. I mean, I, oh, I don't no, think I, Kira I believe you. I'm not going to watch the hustle. Has never been that bad. Um, so, anyway, no, she's very good, Kira Knightley. She was in that brilliant thing recently, Official Secrets. Well, I say yeah. brilliant. It was good. I liked it. Yeah. It's another you know little guy against a big guy type. Okay, it's I haven't seen that. Um, there's very interesting things with the camera, with like three quarters of the screen being taken up by kind of I don't know what looks like a, a document or a laptop or something. Yeah, and you're just seeing Mark Ruffalo's eyes and, you know, then kind of the way that the dates are kind of given, you know, in a way that kind of shapes the structure of the story. Um, There's kind of hints of malevolence, right? Like bombings, yeah, the thing with the helicopter, which... You know, it's always suggested that DuPont is doing that, but it's never quite demonstrated, right? Well, I think they're not going to tell you that because DuPont is a real company and they don't want to get in trouble by actually saying DuPont bombed this guy or yeah. set fire to this guy's house. You know, like, because that, that would, they can only imply. Right? Yeah, well, they but imply. I think, but, but I think the implication is powerful. Yes. You know, so yes. the thing about the, they set fire to this guy's house, it turns out it's his dad's house. Yes. And the uh, fireman says, do you think they just got the wrong house because he got the same name? And that's yeah. it, it's left at that. But it is it's scary. You know? I think the other thing that's powerful about the film is, you know, the deformed kid, the kid that was born with a deformed nose. And, Bucky Barnes, his name. But yeah. And then, at the end, you're shown that it's it's the real person, yeah, who's... Yeah, I, w- I wanted to bring this up, because I think it's really important. So the moment that he has in the film is towards the end. You've seen this deformed kid, and you've seen a photo of this deformed baby with one nostril and a deformed eye. And it was born from the mother worked on the Teflon line mm. at DuPont. And it's a real kind of emotional centre to the film. And something that really, really makes you feel like, God, these guys are fucking bastards because mm. this happened to a person. And then later on, this is like sort of in the film, it's 2012 or so, Mark Ruffalo bumps into him out of nowhere at a gas station. He says, oh, do you know the score? Oh, it's all right, I'll get the score later. And that's it. But then right in the credits, you see, oh, yes. that actually is. That's not makeup or special effect. That is That's Bucky Barnes. He's a real person. As an adult, 40 years later or whatever. Right? Exactly. Yeah. And I think that's really important because it, it really drives home a reality to what's happened. Like, you know that this is based on a true story. You know that what's happened here is telling a true story. But actually, to see this guy, see the physical effect that, mm. this, that this company had through their deliberate knowing negligence for so mm. many years on this community to see that for real and you know it, it really makes it real makes you believe it and on top of that the guy's demeanor is so happy-go-lucky chirpy you know he's friendly to this stranger yeah he says oh do you know the score oh never mind i'll get it later how the like it's a there's a defined happiness to this guy mm. that I think is wonderful too it's like a yes. life-affirming yes. aspect of you that. get both things in the film you know, so earlier you mentioned this woman who, you know, says, oh, you know, we love DuPont, DuPont is very good, or DuPont has been very good for the town, or whatever she says it is. Mm. They're you good know, people. They're good people. And then you have this real person who is the result of, you know, the nefarious, deliberate poisoning of a whole population, <laughs> right? You know, and it's kind of, I think, you know, what's great about the film is that encompasses, it puts both of those elements into play, you know, both of which are kind of very human, yeah. I mean, actually, I, I don't know if I told you this, but I, I, got, um, I got really angry at uh, my cousin's husband because, you know, in Spain they were doing all this building. This is about 10, 15 years ago. They were doing all this building. And in the town where I'm from, they discovered, I think 
you know, it was a Jewish cemetery. And then later on, they discovered a Muslim uh, windmill, yeah, like uh, to do the wheat, to crush the wheat. Oh, right, okay. Yeah, I forgot what it's called. Or vice versa. Maybe, you know, the cemetery was, uh, you know, Muslim and whatever. Anyway, the town where I come from suffers in the sense that it's a, a world heritage site, right? But it's so close to Madrid that people only come in for the morning. And it would tra- absolutely transform the fortunes of the town if there was just one more thing that the town could offer so that people <laughs> would stay overnight, right? The archaeologists were called because they discovered it. And before the archaeologists could do anything, the company that was doing the building raised it all to the ground, right? Mm-hmm. Like a crime against humanity, mm-hmm. right? And uh, they paid the fine, which was like 10,000 euros. It was minimal, right? And they just went on with the building. And of course, my cousin was defending this, saying, well, you know, it's jobs, right? <laughs> like, you know, yeah. yeah, and you think, you know, and so I was trying to argue with him, well, you know, you might have a job for five extra days, but maybe if you had the windmill and the cemetery, your daughter or your grandchildren could have had jobs like, you know, for 40 years. Or, you know, like, yeah. you know, and there was no way of getting that through a thick skull. Right. <laughs> and I thought that was a little bit like that woman. They're good people. You know, they're, they're killing us. They're poisoning us, but they give us work. So it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, I suppose I, it's tough to tell. And the film doesn't really maybe maybe I'm being unfair, but it feels like the film doesn't do an amazing job of expressing what the public knowledge of this was. So you do have those. Uh, news, that kind of news montage in the second half of the film where um, it comes out that Teflon is has got this chemical in it and it's this huge scandal. Yes. Um, so clearly there is public knowledge for this by this point because that, um, that's actually Robert, Bill, the, the lawyer, who goes public with it mm. and that's when Tim Robbins tells him off. Um, so, that, so there's public knowledge of it but still, you know, how much of it has filtered down into, into this specific community that relies on this DuPont plant. It's t- you yes. know, the film doesn't really do a good... It, it doesn't really express that. Well, it's true. I, I mean, mean, the reason that they all show up for the blood test is because they're getting $400 for it. Yeah. Otherwise, they wouldn't have. Yeah. yeah. So, um, anyway, let's wrap this up. I mean, I think it's actually a film that... I mean, I liked it. Don't get me wrong. I liked it very much. And as I said, I always have this ambivalence about Todd Haynes' films the first time I see them. And then... You know, they seem to get better and better. Actually, I think Carol was the exception to that. I really loved it from the very beginning. I was going to say, I mean, uh, that's, not, that's not a film you had a reservation about. Yeah, yeah. I can get through it. Uh, and I imagine that this one will be the same. Yeah, I really it's, loved his Mildred Pierce, just quickly say. That he did not oh, yes. I guess I like that as well. I like that. Awful, apart from the fact that at the start of each episode, it says a film by Todd Haynes. Yes. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's not a film, is it? It's TV. <laughs> well. It's not even TV, it's HBO. <laughs> But, but apart from that, it was fantastic. Yes. It was a really good series. Yes, I think so too. So, um, I recommend everyone sees it, really. I think he is a key director of the last 30 years. Kind of his topics, from, from Safe to Far From Heaven, Carol, they always deal with the, the marginal, the oppressed, differences in, in power, questions of racism or sexuality or class. It's kind of, you know, the thematics of, of his themes. And they really kind of do build into an oeuvre, you know, like they cohere, you know, this, this set of work. And, you know, at least for me, even his relative failures get richer and richer with each viewing. So um, I'm going to go see it again, and I highly recommend that, that people see it. I really love it because it's, it's a really good, involving 
legal procedural. You know, you see this case go through, you see all the important things, you see how you see how discovery works, you see how the kind of minutiae of certain legal aspects works. And I think that you know, you understand this guy's life and you understand the communities that he's kind of moving between. And I think it it, it feels really rich and kind of lived in. Mm. And it's not the new spotlight, but it's good. Yeah. Spotlight uh, I'll keep coming back to. Spotlight I will I can just I've watched that thirty five times now just to put it on Netflix and it just sees me through and love it. You're yeah. obsessive. I, I am, I kind of am, but like every scene in that works for me. And this every scene works as well actually, but it's not got that beautiful the dialogue in Spotlight just works for me. I love that. Alright. Um we are eavesdropping at the movies and we are on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, uh, SoundCloud and YouTube, listen to us. On social media, we're on Facebook and Twitter at Eavesdrop Movies. Uh, and the website is eavesdropping at the movies.com. Thank you very much for listening. Goodbye. <laughs>